Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store, and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, this is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. I want to welcome everybody listening on their podcast feed. Thank you for that. Thank you for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing this podcast. I said this last week. You guys are the best audience in all the podcast universe. You are passionate. You are dedicated. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing all the things you do uh, every single week. Thank you to those that are watching. The show is available via YouTube as well. Subscribe to the Volume Sports YouTube page. And occasionally, we are on AMP. You can follow me on AMP at Chris Mannix to get an earlier version every so often of this show. Got a great show lined up for you this week. Alicia Baumgartner, the undisputed 130-pound champion. She is back in action this weekend when she takes on Christina Linadartu. That is a title defense in her hometown of Detroit, Michigan. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN. The first time Baumgartner is headlining uh, in her hometown of Detroit. It is also a rematch of the only loss of Baumgartner's career. That's right. Christina Linadartu has one win over Alicia Baumgartner. She's trying to make it two and become the undisputed champion at 130 in the process. So I talked to Alicia about all that, the pressures of fighting in her hometown, uh, her future, whether it's at 130 or 135, all that and much more a little bit later in the show. But first, I do love it when there is boxing news right before we record the podcast because too often we record and then boxing news breaks. This time, we have big boxing news before we start recording. Tyson Fury the lineal heavyweight champion. He is going to face Francis Naganu, the former UFC heavyweight champion, in a boxing match October 28th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. This was a fight that 
was in the water supply for some time. There was some talk about it being a hybrid matchup, boxing rules in an MMA ring, MMA rules in a boxing ring. Uh, No, this will be a straight boxing match, three judges, 10-point must system. Uh, It will be, I believe, a sanctioned boxing event, Uh, but Tyson Fury's title, his WBC title, will not be on the line in this one. Uh, It's going to be a fun event for sure. I certainly have my skepticism about Nagano's ability to compete in a boxing ring with arguably the best heavyweight in the world, uh, with a pound-for-pound heavyweight. It's just going to be really difficult, but it will be a fun event and certainly will have a lot of buzz going into it. To talk about that fight and much more with what's going on in boxing, I want to bring Keith Idex, senior writer over at BoxingScene.com. He's a great job covering boxing uh, for that outlet. Keith, let's just start here. Your reaction to Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou getting these negotiations over the finish line, getting a fight signed and sealed for October 28th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Well, it's going to generate a lot of interest, Chris, among casual sports fans and people who don't ordinarily watch boxing, which I guess to some degree is a good thing. Um, Boxing fans are going to, for the most part, dislike it because, of course, the people who passionately follow this sport and the people who cover it like you and me, we would much rather have seen Tyson Fury fight Alexander Usyk. I mean, to determine the first fully unified heavyweight champion of the four belt era. That's what we wanted, but I, I don't blame Tyson Fury for chasing this type of payday. Um, and again, it's going to generate a lot of mainstream interest because of Ganu standing among MMA fans, and it's going to be a, it's going to get a lot of attention. Whether it's an enormous event, I don't know if an event is an, is enormous when it's in Saudi Arabia because it's a it's plopped in the middle of the sand where no one, do they care about? But I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's an event for wealthy people, I suppose. And Chris, you've covered some of these fights over there, you know, the Andy Ruiz, uh, Joshua fight. I mean, I, my guess is there are not a lot of rabid boxing fans in Saudi Arabia. So it's more like a social event than anything. So the atmosphere is not going to be great. But for these guys, what it's ultimately about is being paid the most money you can get. And for Nganu, who, you know, walked away from UFC, this is the best way to do that. It, does he have any chance to beat Tyson Fury in a boxing match, despite that he's heavy-handed? I sincerely doubt it. Uh, but that really doesn't matter, I guess, because the, the Saudis are paying a, a huge sums of money for this fight. And whether we like it or not, it's happening. Yeah. Um, MMA fans are the reason this is happening. Because mm-hmm. MMA fans, regardless of the history, will always believe their guy can win. Always. Like, they believe wholeheartedly that Conor McGregor was going to beat Floyd Mayweather. They have believed over the last couple of years that Ben Askren or Tyron Woodley or Anderson Silva was going to beat Jake Paul. And by the way, Nate Nate Diaz Diaz. (laughs) Nate Diaz is going to be the next one that gets squashed by Jake Paul. Like, we're not going to get into that fight just yet, but that's the outcome. But MMA fans always believe. And they believe that Nagano, this big scary puncher in MMA, is going to be the one that topples Tyson Fury. I don't know what kind of percentage, Keith, that you would put on it, but I'm going to go like 0.00001% chance that Nagano wins. Like, maybe if Tyson Fury breaks his hand on Nagano's head and has to fight the duration with one hand, maybe Nagano wins then. But in a straight boxing match, under boxing rules, he has no chance. No chance. And I say this, as I think you would agree, if Tyson Fury stepped in the cage and put on those little gloves and fought Nagano in that uh, environment, 
He would lose. He would get squashed. They are both combat sports, but they have nothing in common whatsoever. I agree with you that it's, you know, boxing purists will say, like, what the hell? Like, what are we doing? Why why are we doing this again? But if you're Tyson Fury and you're going to get paid 10, 20, 30 million dollars, whatever it may be, for a fight with less risk than any major boxing match that you could take, of course you do it. Of course you jump at it. And if you're Naganu and you sign this deal with PFL, which is probably going to make him good money, more money than he probably would have made in UFC. But if you have a chance to make 10, 20, 30 million dollars, whatever it turns out to be, uh, to, to fight a fight that's probably not going to hurt your standing in mixed martial arts, you do that as well. So, look, it's a cash grab. We know the outcome. The buildup's going to be fun. <laughs> like They're both going to yap at each other. Tyson Fury is going to make a spectacle out of it. Uh, MMA fans will plop down 60, 70, 80 bucks, whatever it turns out to be on pay-per-view here in the U.S., and we'll all go home with Tyson Fury either carrying Nagano to a wide decision loss or dropping him in the sixth, seventh, or eighth round. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know what your official prediction for that fight would be if you have one just yet, but I'm going to go with the Fury stoppage in round six. He carries him for four or five and then stops him in the six, but that's the way this ends ultimately. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I think he'll ultimately stop him. But, you know, he this he's not a boxer and he's not, he's not accustomed to fighting 10 three-minute rounds or, you know, however long this fight might last. So um, there's no way that you wouldn't favor Tyson Fury by a lot to win this fight. But I don't, bl- you know, like I said, I don't blame these guys for going for the money and trying to, you know, just make how much ever money they can in the short window of time that they have to do it, uh, especially at a former UFC fighter. As we well know, Chris, these UFC fighters, I'm not saying they're making peanuts necessarily at the top level, but in comparison to what the top level boxers make, they are making a lot less money. So this is their opportunity, much like it was for Conor McGregor. Now, Ngannou is going to make anywhere close to the $100 million or so that McGregor made for fighting Floyd Mayweather, but it's going to be the biggest payday of his career, and um, so you can't blame guys for doing that. Uh, and as you said, Chris, yeah, if if they fought in a mixed martial arts match, you know, Ngannou would, would twist Tyson Fury into a pretzel and make him tap whatever. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. but that's that's kind of why it's a little silly. But, um, but yeah, you'd, you'd favor Fury to win the fight. Uh, the, the one thing I would say, you know, a lot of the boxing fans are, or people within the boxing industry, oh, you have to strip Tyson Fury now. He's not fighting. Well, he defended his title in December. It's only yeah. July. And if Jamal Charlo can keep the WBC middleweight title <laughs> for the rest of his life, then there's no reason why Tyson Fury should be stripped of his title for taking this, you know, circus-like event in between title defenses. You know, MMA fans, too, they've been in my social media mentions referencing you know, wins by uh, Anderson Silver over Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., uh, Anthony Pettis over Roy Jones, Vitor Belfort over Evander Holyfield. This is a completely different animal altogether. Uh, Evander Holyfield is 60 years old. <laughs> exactly. And Roy Jones was is long since washed up, and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is a mess. You, you have a prime heavyweight champion in Tyson Fury. There, there's no chance your guy wins. No chance. Zero. I will take any odds you want to put out there on that fight. No chance he wins. Um, the only thing that bothers me about this matchup, Keith, is the timing. Um, October 28th is months away. Uh, you know, you've got Usyk fighting in August. My hope was that Fury would fight Ngannou or whoever in August or September, uh, and maybe then you could get a fight between those two end of this year, early next year. Does it feel to you like that fight you get even more distance between that fight happening and and not uh, based on well, this this announcement. 
You would have to, right? Because there was all this talk about this double header in December in Saudi Arabia. That's obviously out the window if he's fighting, even if it's an easy fight, October 28th. Tyson Fury's not the kind of guy who's going to fight October 28th and get back in the gym two weeks later to fight and to set. That's not happening. So uh, I never really believed that, that they were going to put those two fights on with all the purses that would, uh, even with the Saudis printing money, um, I, you know, that's a lot of money to put out in purses for those four guys. So I didn't, I never really believed that was going to happen anyway, but clearly it's not going to happen now. And I will stick to what I said, Chris. I mean, I'll believe that Anthony Joshua is going to fight Deontay Wilder when I see it. I've been saying that on You've this been podcast consistent. forever. You've been consistent. I don't on believe that. that is going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think he'll lose to Dillian White. Uh, so he'll clearly be in position for that fight to happen. But I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I think, by the way, Joshua Dillian White is is the right fight. Like I, I said this last week on the pod, but unless unless that Saudi deal is signed, sealed, inked, you can't expect it to happen. You can't sit out yeah. and wait for that fight to happen. And Dillian White, yeah, there's some danger to it, but you know this fight sold out in hours. It, it's a big event. It's going to do well on UK pay per view. Joshua's going to make a boatload of money. Not the money he was going to make or may make in Saudi Arabia, but he'll make a significant payday for this right. fight. And it's a very winnable fight for him. Like Dillian White talks a lot. I love the press conference, the back and forth. That was fun. Uh, but Dillian White's been knocked out in two of his last four fights. I, I don't, you know, every fight for Joshua is dangerous at this point because he's not what he used to be. But th this to me feels like the exact fight he should be taking. Second fight with Derek James, uh, big fight in the UK, big payday, some danger, but enough reward for the risk. I feel like this is the right fight for him. Yeah, all those things are true, Chris. And this is a fight that has has, you know, been talked about for years, ever, ever since they fought the first time. And then obviously uh, Joshua went on to become a world champion and a unified world champion. Uh, so Dillian White has been chasing this rematch for quite some time. They're finally making it happen. And you're right. White's at the point now where he's dangerous enough that he's a sellable opponent. Uh, in the UK, it's a huge fight. I mean, pe people can crap on the fight all that they want, but it's going to make a lot of money over there because, as you said, the O2 sold out very quickly. It's going to do well on pay-per-view, where obviously the pay-per-view price points are much lower than they are in the United States, and they love boxing in the U.K. much more so than it's loved in the United States. Uh, so it'll, it, it'll do good business over there, and that's one of the things that Joshua actually said during the press conference yesterday. I thought it was odd that he said he doesn't consider Dillian White a rival. I mean, if there's anyone that's his rival, you would think it's Dillian White in the, in the U.K. for sure. Uh, of course, Tyson Fury now as well, but um, but he did say that. But then he also said in that basically that same uh, span of couple of sentences that this fight makes biz perfect business sense, and that's why it's happening. So, and he's and he's absolutely right about that. So you can't fall. I mean, it's it's not like he's fighting a guy who had he has the proverbial puncher's chance because Dillian White's left hook is you know is is lethal, um, but he'll. But if I had, you know, if I were betting my own money on it, I would bet on Anthony Joshua to knock out Dillian White. What a two month stretch, though, for Derek James coming up, huh? Like you've <laughs> got Errol Spence in the biggest fight in years. You've got Anthony Joshua in a huge fight. You've got Jermel Charlo taking on Canelo Alvarez. Uh, throw in Frank Martin. Throw in Ryan Garcia trying to work his way back. <laughs> you know, imagine, if, if, imagine, imagine saying throwing in those two. Those I are know, two pretty I goddamn know. good fighters. Yes. To just be throwing yes. in, you know. I mean? Yes, <laughs> so, like it, you know? if Derek, if if Derek James winds up going three and zero, oh, uh, 
or oh even two and one, even two and one, like he's trainer of the year. Like just hand in your ballot, whatever. He's he's the guy. I mean, what a yeah. what an incredible stretch for Derek James. He's going to get a lot of recognition and I'm sure a lot of money uh, for for being part of uh, of these three fights. Um, let's transition to something we saw last weekend in Atlantic City, your backyard there. Uh, you've got Boots Ennis, uh, uh, the interim title holder for the IBF at 147 pounds. He has. A brilliant performance. Stops Roman Villa, uh, 10th round stoppage. Just, you know, start to finish, that was a really just excellence from Boots Ennis, who continues to validate the belief that he is, you know, the next guy in the 147-pound division. Once the stuff is settled between Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, Boots Ennis is going to be there to inherit that throne. Did you see anything new or anything interesting from Boots Ennis in his win this past weekend? Well, it was a dominant performance, obviously, Chris, as you said. He he battered Raymond Villa from basically beginning. You know, he took his time a little bit, the first couple of rounds, but then he really started to pick him apart. He broke his nose in the second round. Uh, he was back to being Boots Ennis after a performance against Karan Chikadzian, which kind of turned off the public a little bit. It wasn't really Jaron Ennis's fault all that much because Chikadzian really came to, to make it 12 rounds, and he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't in there to win the fight. He was in there to survive for the most part. And he did. I mean, he, t- he took Jerron Ennis 12 rounds for the first time in Jerron Ennis's career. So that in some way was a win for an unknown Ukrainian underdog who came over here and was being, you know, made fun of and everything going into the fight for his first name and for his track record and everything. Uh, so he showed well in that. And Ennis really uh, expressed a lot of respect for Chikadzian for being able to last because he's such a big puncher and he's so diverse and he's so vert. I mean, he's the whole package, obviously. Um, but it, Jerron Ennis needed to fight someone like Ramon Villa going into this fight, uh, coming off that performance because he needed to get back to being Boots Ennis, right? To, to really electrifying the crowd, knocking a guy out. The unfortunate thing for Ennis, Chris, is that he's been in this same holding pattern for two plus years now. He's fighting comparable level levels of opponents through no fault of his own because he has repeatedly said uh, and done everything he could to get into the position to fight Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford, the, the two elite fighters in the division. Now, logic would dictate that neither of those guys is going to fight him. They're obviously contractually obligated to fight each other twice now. So that will take them through the beginning of next year, and then they're going to take some time off after what we can only assume are going to be two dogfights. Um, Ennis said after his fight the other night, well, I hope I'll be there ringside watching and uh, may the best man win. I think it's a 50-50 fight, but I hope that it's one-sided and that there's no need for a rematch and the loser won't want a rematch because then I would want to fight the winner. That That's completely understandable from Ennis's standpoint to look at it that way. But even if that happened, I would not expect the winner to fight him because there's so much risk involved. It's not nearly as big of a fight as Spence Crawford. And particularly if it's Spence wins the fight, he's going to move up to 154 yeah. pounds, whether he fights Crawford once or twice, because he, he's a big kid. I mean, he, you know, he's 5'10". Uh, he, he has admitted to blowing up in weight between his fights and everything. Uh, he he's a little better about it now, but he still gains a lot of weight between fights. And he's 33 years old now. Crawford is a smaller guy, probably continue to could continue to make 147. But is it going to be worthwhile for him? Let's just say he beats uh, Spence twice. No one no one could, could criticize Terrence Crawford at that point, right? He's done everything that was asked of him. Now he cleaned out the welterweight division. He has all the titles. 
while physically he might not need to move up to 154, he might want to go pursue another title there. And then unless someone really makes it worth his while, because Crawford's a dog and and he's got a lot of pride and he's not going to like people saying that he's avoiding Ennis or whatever, but is it going to be worthwhile from a financial standpoint for him to stick around if he wins? And the same principle applies to Spence. I think both guys will whoever wins, whether they fight once or twice, will then move up to 154. And then unfortunately for Ennis, what is he really left to do at 147, right, Chris? Because he's in, again, this holding pattern. Lippinets is still the best guy that he's beaten. And that was two years ago, right? I mean, and, and he dominated Lippinets. He looked brilliant in doing it. But Lippinets is a former world champion. You know, Raymond Villa was coming off of a very good win against Rashidi Ellis, who was undefeated when he knocked him down twice in the 12th round, beat him by majority decision. Very good win for Villa. Tough guy. Probably very competitive with most welterweights, except, the you know, the top three in a division, probably top four in a division. But as it relates to Ennis, Chris... His his contemporaries and the guys that he would fight if he doesn't get the opportunity to fight Spencer or Crawford, well, one of them might retire. So you know, Virgil Ortiz might be a limit. At the very least, he's going to move up and wait. I would think, right? And, and he might never fight again. So that that potential huge fight for Jerron Ennis against a guy in his age range is now not there anymore. Stan Jonas has a secondary title and is undefeated, and I think people will push to see that fight next, whether it happens or not, who knows. But that's the next fight for him. But that's not a huge fight, and it's certainly not a fight that if Jerron Ennis wins, people are going to say, okay, he's the, you know, he's the king of the welterweight division. Mm. Isn't it? I mean, that's the logical fight, right? Stan Jonas against Boots. Stan Jonas has been affiliated with PBC for a number of years now. You know, only was going to fight on his own because of the purse bid situation with with Ortiz. Uh, and no, it's not a mega fight. It's not a pay-per-view, certainly. But that's a really good Showtime fight if they can make it mm-hmm. on the network. Um, you know, Stanion is still undefeated, good puncher, a lot of attributes. And if you're if you're Ennis, like my look at a uh, viewpoint Ennis is like, try, you got to convince these sanctioning bodies like the WBA. Like you put the WBA with the secondary title that Stanionis has and the secondary title that Boots Ennis has. Like, I'd love to see both those titles on the line in a fight between Stan Ionis and Ennis. And I know that they're not real titles right now, but to your point, more likely than not, you're going to see at least Spence and probably Crawford too move up and wait after their series of fights is done. So at some point, whether it's after the first fight between those two guys or potential second fight, those secondary titles are going to become real titles. So if you're Ennis, maybe you're thinking like, all right, I can, I, I have two secondary titles now, but six months from now, I might have a third. And then you can start talking about Alexis Rocha or whoever he's going to fight. Cody Crowley is out there in that mix for a WBO belt. I think it's just about making the best fights possible for you over the next year. I mean, it's not like Ennis is any any kind of rush. I thought one of the most surprising things from that fight week, Keith, was Ennis weighing like 145 again. Like just easily making this 145-pound weight limit. He is, he's, it feels like he's got a long time at 147 ahead of him. So he can just collect titles, wait some of these guys out, maybe wait for some of the guys at 140 to move up and, and, and be in some high-profile fights. That is young enough to be patient. I, I, think he's gotta, I think patience could pay off for him down the line. Chris, he actually said after the fight during the post-fight press conference, his exact words were, I can make this wait for as long as I want. 
which is an interesting thing for a, for a growing 26-year-old guy who's 5 foot 10 to say but he was 145 and a half pounds on the scale Friday same amount that he same exact amount that he weighed for the Chikadzian fight so he's clearly not having the difficulties that you know Virgil Ortiz or a lot of these other guys are having making 147 so it's great that from that standpoint he would remain in the welterweight division but when you look at the fights that are available to him for what Let's just say he beats Stan Jonas, and let's say that Virgil Ortiz is not a potential opponent for him anymore. Well, who is he fighting in the 147? All right, he can make it, which is great, but who's he fighting? Because eventually, Jerron Ennis is, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's not fair to take it out on him because he wants the fights. But he's 26, so he's in the heart of his physical prime now, or just entering what people might consider his physical prime. He's obviously a young, relatively young guy. He just turned 26. Um. But over these next couple of years, with Ortiz removed from the mix for the most part, who who's the big fight? Who I, I don't know who it is. I mean, who, I mean, it's not Alexis. No offense. I mean, it's not Alexis Rocha or any of these. Yeah. Other, I mean, Jaron Ennis beats all the. I, you know, the Stanionis fight is a good fight, and I would want to see it. And and hopefully it is what happens next. I don't know necessarily that that will be the case because let's just say they order Stan WBA orders Stanionis to fight someone else. Maybe the money's not available to Stan Jonas that he would want to fight Jerron Ennis. Um, so who knows, really? Uh, if that, hopefully that's next because that's the most intriguing, intriguing available fight for Ennis. If it's not next, I don't know who he fights, and and you know people are interested in watching him because he's a he's a brilliant talent, and he and he's so he's a nice kid too. I mean, on top of everything else, he's a very respectful person and and very. Uh, you know, uh, look what he did with Via the other night. I mean, he beat the crap out of him and then, you know, went over and made sure that he was okay and was very respectful toward his team and everything. So he's a good kid. He, you know, obviously uh, raised the right way and um, very likable. But I don't know how, how do you make him that next level star without him fighting Crawford or Spence? I, I don't know the answer to that. And it's not going to be easy. I think it's, you know, I think it's definitely going to be difficult. I just think for, Boots, it's about collecting as many of these belts as you can, even if they're secondary belts, like trying to get a unification fight. Because I think Stanionis, the WBA says this, he, he's get a voluntary. He can do something, um, something else um, in his next fight. And hopefully there's enough money on the table to make a fight between Boots and, and Stanionis. And then you can have two belts there, and then we'll see what happens with Spence and Crawford. I just think it's got to be about collecting as many titles as you can, getting in as many significant fights as you can, and then see where the the chips fall in 2024. See if there's anybody that's a big name at 140. It's going to move up to 147. I know Josh Taylor is probably going to be there. That's obviously complicated with Taylor's promotional affiliation, but maybe that's a fight that is, is somewhat interesting for, for Ennis. Um, nothing pay-per-view worthy for sure. But I think for, for Ennis, you just start taking good fights and hope the great fights uh, come to you a little bit further down the line. Uh, you mentioned Ortiz. What's your take on that situation? I, I talked about this last week, and look, I talked to Rick Merigian, the manager of Virgil Ortiz, who said that Virgil is going to move up to 154. Uh, you know, there's a tentative plan at least to bring him back sometime in November. Uh, you know, he, he's going to take like 30 or 60 days off per medical advice to to really rest his body and try to heal his body. But this is now what the third time he's been forced out of a fight because of you know, either the rhabdo illness or something connected to it, complications from it, uh, is, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to play one, but, you know, the, the solution right now from Ortiz's camp seems to be move up and wait. And 
I'm not so sure that's the... I'm sure sure that's going to be the solution uh, to all this. What's your take on how everything has unfolded with Virgil Ortiz? It's a very, very tricky situation, Chris, in that um, I don't want to see him fight in November. How about you take like a year off? How about that? Mm. He's a young kid. He's 25 years old. Um, When I spoke to Boots Ennis, and this was all unfolding in real time on Thursday, when I spoke to him about it at the press conference, he said, well, it seemed to me a little bit like he was rushing to, because, you know, because they wanted to make the Stan Jonas fight. Like when it got canceled in, I believe it was March, uh, he said it, it looked like the, you know, he kind of rushed back into camp and everything. That may be the case. I don't, I don't know. And I, again, I want to be very careful, Chris. I don't know the, the medical implications here. I'm not trying to pretend that I know uh, anything about what, what's going on with Virgil Ortiz's body like a doctor would. I mean, according, I, according to Rick Merigian, but, according to Rick, um, he, he did not he tested negative for rhabdo. So that was the illness that kept him out for the last couple of fights. There was a negative test for that. That's at least what his manager okay. is saying on the record. So he, the, the, the issue is there are complications from it that he, he did, to your point, uh, maybe come back a little bit too quickly and was still dealing with the side effects of having it the first time around back in March. Right. There's something wrong with him, whether it's rhabdo, whatever, however you pronounce it, uh, whether it's that or something else. There's clearly his body is not reacting well to putting all this stress on it, whether it's to make 147 or 154. And I think from Virgil Ortiz's perspective, I realize, you know, his whole life he's been building toward becoming a boxing superstar and he's in position to make that happen. Very easy from the outside looking in to say, oh, look, why don't you just retire and go find something else to do with your life? Because it seems like the smarter thing to do. That's very easy for someone else to say. Uh, if, if he's licensed to fight, and I, I really hope that they put him through the most extreme testing imaginable to license him to fight, I, I, the, the Texas Commission, other commissions, I hope they really hope they make those things uh, necessary for him to get licensed. But you just have to wonder in the back of your mind, Chris, whether the, the best thing for Virgil Ortiz to do is to find something else to do with his life because you'd hate for this kid to continue putting himself in this position and then does some irreversible damage to his body. Um, and also from the, from the financial perspective of the people funding his career, in this case, golden boy promotions in the zone, how many times are you going to build events around a guy who's a pot, who's a, you know, a, a budding star and can sell tickets and fights in a, in a very entertaining way, knocked out every opponent that he's ever fought. But how many times are you going to put money in toward promoting and building an event toward him and then have him not physically be able to go through with the fight? Because it's now happened how many times? Three. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you know, the, the McKinson fight was obviously rescheduled and he did fight him last year. I understand that. Um, but now this is twice with the Stanionis fight or three times altogether. The first time with Stanionis uh, having an appendectomy, but uh, so it's happened twice. And you have to look at it from a financial standpoint as well, because you're putting all this time, effort, and money in, into promoting these events and then they're not happening. And you're left in a situation uh, like you were there to call on Saturday night where you have to just, you know, adjust on the fly and have, while Floyd Schofield is a, is a really fascinating young talent, you're not building entire events around him at this point. So, um, so you have to look at it from a financial standpoint as well. And I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. I think the problem that Virgil Ortiz is going to be dealing with and by extension, golden boy and his is that in, in two of these three fights that he's had called off, it, it was literally during the fight week that it all fell apart. And, it was because his body failed him 
as he was going through the usual motions you go through to to cut weight. Um, you know, he weighed, I was told, 156 on Tuesday, which seems like a lot, but is not all that unusual, I guess, for fighters to cut seven, eight pounds during their fight week. At least I was told that was kind of what Virgil usually does during a fight week. But for whatever reason, what he was able to do two years ago is not what he's able to do now. So to your point, can you schedule a Virgil Ortiz fight, even at 154 in November, December, knowing that, you know, even if he says two weeks early, like he did, he was on the show, you know, a couple of weeks before the fight saying, I'm 100%. I feel all the way back. You're not going to know until you get to like Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, this happened Wednesday night, you know, of, of Virgil's fight week. And it wasn't just, I can't make the weight. He collapsed and couldn't breathe. Like he had to go to the hospital because of that. It's like, this isn't just like, ah, crap, man, I'm way over. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I can't take any more out of my body. He collapsed and it had to go to the hospital because of it. Like that's, that's, I mean, I'm kind of with you there on don't take months off, take a year off. You're 25 years old. Like if you want to get back into it, you know, eight months, a year from now, Boxing's going to be there. You know, your promoter's going to be there. Your network's going to be there. You're, you're a rising star. But, you know, even if he takes the, the 30 days off, they're talking about 60 days off, they're talking about, it just feels like a risk to, to, to do that. And look, I mean, I don't even know if a move to 154 right now is good for Virgil. I mean, I know the names are up there or will be up there, but, you know, he's not a massive 147. Like, you know, it's... It's not like he's he's just going to fill out into that weight class right away. I mean, I think that's a risk in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, the 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 I believe the second Stanionis fight cancellation or postponement after the appendectomy for Stanionis that was a little earlier than a couple of weeks. Uh, but the the McKinson fight was that fight week. I remember you know, talking about Rocha and would he you know would he move up and fight McKinson that kind of stuff on Blair Cobbs. Um, and this one was Thursday morning when they announced it. Yeah. I don't know how you can build events around him. It's just, it's tricky. I mean, I, he, he just has to listen to only medical advice on, on this subject, you know, not, you know, Chris, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, somebody, somebody's telling him to take 30 days off. That's it. It, it was, my understanding it was the medical advice f- to Virgil Ortiz that week to take 30 to 60 days off before you, start training for anything else. Like just take 30 to 60 days off, off. That was, and I guess he didn't do that uh, after the the first diagnosis. He got back into the gym after a few weeks. Uh, so they want longer. I, I don't know. Oh, you you mean they told him 30 to 60 days after the second postponement of the Stan Jonas fight? No, this this was this, was this this was this past oh, this week. week. Oh, where they okay. said, okay. after he collapsed, was in the hospital, and they said, you can't fight. The advice was, take 30 to 60 days off just doing nothing before you even think about doing anything boxing training. I guess after, I don't know what the advice was after the uh, second postponement, but he didn't take much time off in between the postponement and when he got back into the gym. So the advice now is to like, you know, basically take the summer off. So, you know, and, and get back into it then. I I don't know. I don't know what is, is, is going to happen with him moving forward, but, you know, there's a lot to consider, I think, with uh, with Virgil Ortiz. All right, a couple things I want to hit uh, on before I let you go. This weekend uh, will be the debut of Andy Cruz, who Eddie Hearn claims is the greatest 
amateur prospect in the history of amateur prospects. <laughs> he is very excited about Andy Cruz, uh, former Olympic gold medalist, has a bunch of wins over Keyshawn Davis. Uh, they're trying to fast track him. He's in a 10 round fight right away against Juan Carlos Burgos, who has, you know, fought some names in boxing, not, you know, anywhere near the prime of his career by any stretch. But um, the, the, the immediate thought I have, Keith, is uh, are we looking at another Lomachenko, right? Lomachenko years ago was, you know, multi time Olympic gold medalist, the best amateur prospect maybe ever. Uh, came in fast tracked, you know, was in a world title fight, a few fights in. Uh, do you think Andy Cruz is on that same track? Do you do you look at him that way? Do people in boxing look at him that way? Um, because certainly the folks at Matchroom look at him that way. Well, he's being matched that way, that's for sure. But but that's a pretty ambitious uh, <laughs> goal there to become the next Vasily Lomachenko, and and he's fighting a he's he's fighting a better opponent in his debut. You now, you know, Burgos has lost, I think, six or seven times, yeah. I think seven times now. And he lost to Keyshawn Davis. He lost a pretty lopsided decision to Keyshawn Davis back in December. But he's, you know, he's a guy that doesn't get knocked out. Um, he's, a, he's a veteran fighter who's fought for world titles and everything. So it's, it's really uh, impressive that that's who he's fighting in his professional debut and speaks to, as you said, how high of an opinion the people at Matchroom have of him. But again, Lomachenko uh, is an elite, elite level fighter. Uh, is he going to be that good? I I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't bet on that. That doesn't mean he's not going to have a very good career and won't become a world champion, but that's that's an extremely high standard. You know, Lomachenko fought for a world title, as we well know, in his second fight, and, you know, I think he got hit below the belt uh, 87 times by um, <laughs> against, uh, <laughs> Salido, Salido, yeah. against Orlando Salido, who was very dirty throughout that fight. Uh, but think about that. I mean, he fought Orlando Salido, who had a lot of losses at that point of his career, but had really fought everybody and was come, had some good wins and everything. And Lomachenko fought him in his second professional fight. I mean, that's ambitious matchmaking at its finest, for sure. Uh, so let's see how Andy Cruz does on, on Saturday night. If he goes in there and, you know, let's just say he knocks out Juan Carlos Burgos, that, that's, a, that's a hell of a statement to make in your pro debut. But even if he, you know, if he shuts him out, that, that's a, a, also a, an impressive statement to make in his first professional fight. Yeah, I, I was in the gym with Cruz a little bit a few weeks ago. Um, he's very talented. There is a lot of amateur to his style, though, uh, which I guess to be expected. He, he doesn't sit down on punches yet. Um, it, it's a lot of that kind of point system offense. And he's working with... You know, we mentioned you know Boots Ennis working with Bozianis, the father of Boots, the trainer, of and I think that's going to be good for him. I love that he's not kind of going the traditional. I'm going to train in South Florida with you know whoever trains a lot of Cuban fighters. He's going to Philadelphia and training mm -hmm. in that gym, and he's going to learn a very different style. And they're hard on him, Keith, up there. Like they're they're tough. Like his nickname in that gym is bullshit. That's his nickname, and they give him that because like. Uh, Bozy will say, like, go do this, and then he'll keep an eye on Cruz out of the corner of his eye and see him kind of like, you know, half-assing it or doing half what he's doing, and he'll look over and go, bullshit! <laughs> and like, and, and Cruz will look up and be like, yeah, you're talking to me. So his nickname yeah. in the gym is bullshit. So he's, a, he's, he's having, it's a good experience for him being there, and look, he's sparring with boots, which is phenomenal. That's great course, experience yeah. right there. And there are some other good fighters in that Philadelphia gym as well. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think it's it's ambitious to think he's going to be challenging for a title three, four fights in. For starters, who's giving him a title shot? Like That's that's not going to be on the table. Uh, I like that he's needling Keyshawn already, that that already seems to be kind of a, 
a thing like will they meet in the pro ranks but I, I think it'll be 10 12 fights before we see Andy Cruz in with a, a world title holder and that's probably for the best because it is going to take him some time to to learn to be a, a heavy hitter to learn to be a power punch I'm not sure if he ever really gets there but uh he's still very there's still a lot of amateur in his style and that's going to be something that takes that takes Ennis and his team some time to break he'll probably you know he might stop Burgos because he'll just overwhelm him and maybe it's a corner stoppage or you know a referee stoppage um and that would be kind of a feather in his cap he can you know say afterwards like I stopped the guy Keyshawn couldn't so you know there's that but I I would expect you're going to see more of Andy Cruz like super active like he's he'll fight you know in July maybe he's back again in September maybe he gets one more before the end of the year you keep him on that three four fight track early on uh, rather than the Lomachenko route where it's like Salido, you know, at number two and Gary Russell Jr. right after that. Like, I don't, I don't see, I don't, I don't see anybody ever doing that again, but I certainly don't see uh, Andy Cruz being, being on that level. It'll probably be, I think the earliest would be like 10 fights before we see him in, in a world title fight. You know, Chris, it's interesting too. It doesn't always quite work out for these decorated amateurs, no matter how much people think of them. Look what happened to Robisi Ramirez. Robisi Ramirez lost his pro debut, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, came to the United States, um, and it seems like Andy Cruz has taken a very different path here by going to train in Bozzi's gym in Philadelphia. But Robisi Ramirez said, I came here, I half-assed training, I thought, you know, everything was going to become easy to me, and he lost his pro debut. He went on to avenge the, uh, that loss and, and is now a world champion uh, and is really showing his his capabilities as a professional. But it took him a while, and and losing your pro debut is a huge setback when there's a lot of money and, and uh, invested in you and a lot of hype surrounding you and everything. It took him a while to overcome that, so... Um, I'm not saying Andy Cruz is going to lose to Burgos, but you never know what could happen. I mean, when when you're fighting with smaller gloves and no headgear and everything, it's a whole different deal. So it'll be interesting to see him fight Saturday night. Yeah, 10-round fight against a pro that's been 10 rounds many times in his career. You're right. Anything can happen in a fight like that, especially you mentioned kind of Ramirez sort of half-assing his initial training. Like, I go back to kind of the bullshit nickname. Like, there are times that, that Andy Cruz is is not doing everything he's supposed to do. Now, eventually, he gets there because it's a very low-tolerance gym there in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it it, uh, it could be interesting in his first fight. I'm excited to see him because whenever you see a guy that was this good in the amateurs, you're dying to see if they can make it in the pros. Uh, and, and I'd love, like, two, three years from now, whether it's at 135 or 140, you'd see Keyshawn and Cruz kind of go at it again. A lot of good young 135s that are going to be coming up in sure. the next couple of years that could uh, make their mark. Uh, Keith Idek, appreciate your time, my friend. Follow Keith over at BoxingScene.com. Got, does great coverage over there. Follow him on Twitter at Idek Boxing as well. Keith, I will see you, I'm sure, very soon. Yes, my pleasure, Chris. See you soon. And when we come back, my conversation with Alicia Baumgartner. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Alicia Baumgartner is the undisputed 130-pound champion on Saturday she will defend her titles and attempt to avenge the only loss on her resume when she takes on Christina Linodartu. That's a rematch that you can watch on DAZN. Alicia, uh, usually at the start of an interview, I ask, uh, you know, kind of a basic small talk question, ask someone how they're doing. Um, last time I did that with you, this <laughs> was the answer that I got. It was great. You know, I dug deep. Listen, I started my period today, so that should tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that should tell you that us women can do it all. So, yes, sir. Uh, so you and I have never talked about this after the fact, but um, when exactly did you know you were going to answer that question that way? You know, it was just a spare of the moment thing. I'm like, this is real. This is raw. And um, <laughs> it was the perfect question to ask. <laughs> that quickly went viral. I mean, that it was, it was it every, did. what kind of reaction did you get from that? You know, all the women were like, yeah, women empowerment, say what it is. And it was just, <laughs> it was a moment. It was definitely a moment to, to remember and, and go back and laugh about. <laughs> you do have a knack, I've noticed, for going viral, whether it's that clip. Or you were in New York just a couple of weeks ago uh, for the Edgar Berlanga fight. And one of the clips I saw on social media over and over again was when the camera cut to, do, to you to do the you know crowd shot. You flexed to the camera. Then that video was everywhere. So, so you've got a skill here, Alicia. You've got, you've got a talent. Yeah. You know, when the camera's on me, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the fighter's going to come out. Alicia's going to come out, but you know, we're getting, we're getting closer to the fight. And so I'm more than excited. It, it kind of speaks to, to how your profile has, has gone up over the last couple of years. I mean, it was just less than two years ago. You were still something of an unknown. You, you then you beat Terry Harper you beat Michaela Mayer. You unify all the belts. Now you're headlining a major event. I see you being recognized at Tigers games. I see you on with Pat McAfee. Is this kind of everything that that you were hoping for a couple of years ago? Yeah, absolutely. I know there was a time and a place for it. I know there was um, a time where you had to be patient. And now we are at the, the top of my career and just really pushing the sport of boxing and letting you know people know 
you know, who Alicia is. You know, people want to know who I am inside and outside the ring. And so we're doing that now, which I'm excited about. What would you say the biggest moment so far for you has been? Because I look at three, right? There's the knockout win over Harper, which really put you on the map in your weight class. There was the win over Michaela Mayer, which you know, settled for now a blood feud between you two. And then there was the undisputed championship fight. Which of those three would you look at as being the biggest moment so far? You know, they were all big moments, but, you know, they all have their special place in my heart. But I would just say the fight with Mayer and I, you know, we were in London. It was a all-women's card. We made history that night, um, and I became unified. You know, it was it was bigger than me that night, and it was it was a time to – remember a time to reflect and again we're making history i'm making history i am a part of history and so it, is, it only gets better from here so it was just a few months ago that you unified all the titles in the 130 pound division from there you certainly have options you, you'd accomplished everything at 130 you could have moved up to 135 started to campaign there you elected to stay and take this rematch with linda dartu what, what went into that decision to stay at 130 you know, I dominate. I dominate at 130. I can make the weight easy. And, you know, if it's anything, if you're good at something, you know, keep elevating in that. And I'm able to do that. We wanted Leonardo to, you know, Mayor couldn't have her. You know, my team made, made it happen. And now here we are. We handpicked this girl. This is the perfect girl for a homecoming fight. And I'm ready come this Saturday. There had to have been a little bit of that in it, right? Mayor couldn't have her. So I'm going to take her out. Yeah, yeah. It was, there was, you know, a lot of people may think, what's going on here? But, you know, again, everything happens for a reason. And this is the girl that we wanted. And here we are. She did uh, hand you a loss about five years ago. How different are you as a fighter now than you were back then? Listen, I've been telling people I'm a brand new person. I shedded that old skin. I don't even know who that old girl is anymore because I've developed, I've grown, I've been able to be real with myself and, and get a better team and just a better environment altogether. I'm a completely different fighter and I love the growth um, on me and I just love how I progressed. And so mm. to step in the ring again, five, six years later, different animal, mm. undisputed. We, <laughs> no question. We've seen when, when fighters take a loss, sometimes that loss sticks with them. I mean, I mean, Clarissa lost to Savannah as an amateur, and that bothered her for, for a long period of time. The loss to Lina Dartu, how much has that bothered you over the years? How much has that been on your mind that I want to get even? You know, it never bothered me. It was more the fact of, okay, I got a loss on my record. It was more of, I have a loss on my record. It's not so much I got a loss. You know, everybody wants to go undefeated. But, you know, I was like, you know what? Oh, well. I'm still going to be a world champion. And now here I am as the undisputed champion with a loss on the record, just to say I've, I've persevered through a loss. It doesn't, it didn't define my career. And now I'm able to showcase what that looks like and that defeat is okay. What kind of fighter do you think she is now? You know, she's hungry. You know, she, she has um, someone to fight for now. She has a child. She's coming back into the sport. She was a world champion. She, you know, wants to continue in the sport and make something of herself and continue doing that. So, you know, I give her all the props to come back after having a child, having a layoff and wanting to, again, prove why she's the fighter that she is. You know, the subject of hometown fights has come up a lot in the last couple of months. We saw Regis Progray say it was tough 
for him to main event in New Orleans because of all the obligations. We saw Jared Anderson just recently in Toledo, you know, kind of talk about everything that went into fighting in his hometown. Uh, you fighting in your hometown, main eventing. How has it been? Has it been a different experience over the course of this week? Not at all. It's been everyday life for me. This is this is what I do every day. I can go to the gym. I work out. You know, there's a few camera people there. No big deal. I go back home. It's, there's no pressure, you know. I've done this plenty of times. And again, throughout my career, I'm prepared for this moment. And so when it comes to this homecoming fight Saturday, it's just going to be the topping of the cake that I've been waiting for. And again, I'm going to show why everyone should be tuned in July 15th. This is be, this is a defense of all four of your, your titles. Um, do you feel like you still have more to accomplish at 130 pounds? Um, I do. Why not? I think every performance gets better. We want knockouts. If I can continue my knockout streak as I did with Terry Harper with this fight come Saturday, it only builds the sport. It builds my profile. It mm. it says, Hey, Alicia Bumgardner is the full package. Mm. Let's let's invest. Let's let's look into this girl and really into boxing and appreciating the sport as what it is. How much of your decision kind of was based on the fact that 135 is just kind of tied up. All those titles like Katie's fighting Chantel. Maybe she fights Chantel again. Maybe she fights Amanda Serrano. Like there's not a, a clear pathway for you to get a belt at 135. How much was that part of your thought process the last few months? You know, it, it's still an opportunity to move up to 135. As I mentioned, I would do it. Um, but we just have to see right now. I'm the undisputed champion at 130. Um, I'm defending my titles. I'm I'm doing what I love, and that that's the best part of it. So whatever happens, happens. But I'm here for the challenge, and I'm I'm ready to fight whoever. Yeah, I was watching you on with Pat McAfee last week, and one thing they asked you was about mixed martial arts, UFC in particular. And we have seen women, most notably Clarissa Shields, cross over and and do both. Uh, is that in your mind, like as a realistic possibility, like during the prime of your career that you, we could see you try your hand, you know, you're a former wrestler, we, you know, you've got that background. Uh, could we see you in a cage at some point in the next couple of years? I said, why not? You know, I'm at the prime of my career. I'm an athlete at heart. I've been in sports since a five-year-old and I just love a challenge. If I can get in the cage and, you know, use my wrestling background to its advantage, why not? I would love to do it. Do you feel like, do you feel confident you'd have the same level of success? I mean, we've seen Clarissa struggle a little bit over there. She obviously doesn't have the background that that you have, but are you confident that you could succeed at that at that combat sport? Absolutely. I'm I'm uh when I put something to my mind and I know that I can achieve it, I can do it and I love it. You know, it it'd be different if I didn't wrestle, but I know what mixed martial arts looks like mm-hmm. and I know what boxing looks like. So it goes hand in hand and it's nothing to learn a few, you know, new things and put it all together. So before, guys before, before I let you go, um, you know, I love spice and you and Michaela still have a lot of spice whenever you're interacting on social media, whenever you see each other, you know, there's always <laughs> something going on there. It's, it's one of the great rivalries in all of boxing. I think she just announced she's going to 140. Um, does that, in your mind, kill the possibility of a second fight between you two? Where do you stand on that? Um, you know, that's up to Michaela. She She's all over the place. Um, since the loss, as you can tell, she doesn't know where she wants to be at 30, 35, 40. Listen, I said I would move up at 135 to give her the advantage um, to rematch her. I don't mind to do that because I know I'll beat her. 
So however that looks, however it would be, you know, she knows where I'm at. What do you think of how badly she wants that second fight? She wants it bad. She dreams about it every night. I, I promise you, I'm on her mind 24-7. If it's not on Twitter, it's on her phone. It's on her mind. Someone's coming up to her like, hey, you fought you fought Alicia, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got that loss, right? So it's always just brewing in her mind constantly. So, of course, she wants the rematch. I want the rematch because it was fun. It was a great buildup. And, again, like you said, the rivalry between us two was, was spicy, and I think that's what boxing needed. And I'm off to do it again. You think 10 years from now, you two will be like friends? Like sometimes we see that in boxing, like, you know, a rivalry becomes a friendship. Do you think that's where this could be headed? You know, however life's supposed to go, it will go. <laughs> I, I see us maybe down the line um, again, fighting again and laughing about it later. Who knows? But <laughs> it's a time for women's boxing to, you know, showcase, you know, us get paid properly, showcase to the world. For me, it's for the world to see. It's not just a small window. I want everybody to see this. I want them to see the talent that's uh, within boxing. Yeah, no question. Great time for women's boxing. Great opportunity, great event with you coming up this weekend in Detroit. Uh, taking on Christina Linadartu in a rematch. That's a fight you can watch on DAZN. Alicia, always appreciate your time, and uh, good luck on Saturday. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek and Alicia Baumgartner for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.